right. Good morning, church. Do me a favor, take out your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. That's where we're going to be this morning. Luke uh, chapter 15 is, uh, is the specific text and where we're going to be looking at. Um, two things while you're turning there. First of all, starting point is going to be next Sunday. Uh, it'll be uh, free breakfast with free child care. And starting point is basically that space that we create as a church. Um, you know, we believe that every Christian who's following Christ, uh, the 101 foundational thing they have in their life is a church family. Uh, and they are com- a covenant committed uh, part of a family of God somewhere locally. And uh, so every church really needs to have some uh, venue or space where people can explore membership and what that looks like at your church, uh, who you are as a church, and all those sorts of things. Um, and starting point is that place for us. So um, if you're exploring membership, you have questions, or you'd uh, like to know what it looks like to just be a, a, a part of this family, uh, starting point is the place where you go. Uh, you don't necessarily have to tell us that you're coming, but it would help to make sure we have enough food uh, and stuff like that. And so if you could do that, we'd really appreciate appreciate that. Plus, Starting Point is a place where in, in a large church like this, it's hard for us to, to get to know new people to Bannockburn. And it also gives us the opportunity to just get to know you and, uh, and serve you as well. And so we would love the, that privilege. So if you haven't come to Starting Point um, or you're looking for a way to explore what it looks like to be a part of Bannockburn, come to Starting Point. Next week, it's at 9.30 in the morning on the third floor of the Abington Center right across there. Pastor Casey is going to lead that. Free breakfast, free child care, and all of that. It's an hour, and you're done. And uh, so please take advantage of that if, if that's for you. Um, also, the Israel trip, we're going to be giving you lots of questions all of a sudden. Uh, we've been promoting it for a long time, and all of a sudden I've got some people interested that are asking lots of questions about it. So I'm going to do another interest meeting on this campus on January 23rd at 6.30 on the third floor. And so just uh, know we'll be an interest meeting. I can also just give you information if you just email me. But on January 29th, I said this last week, but I just want to remind you, January 29th, Aaron Lavarco will be here, Messianic Jew. He was born in New Zealand, so he's got a crazy cool accent. I just love hearing him talk. He's going to be preaching here. He's going to do our tour while we're in Israel. He's been doing it for decades and uh, became a Christian in New Zealand, moved to Israel and does tours, been doing it for decades, and he's incredibly uh, knowledgeable of the Word of God, and I can't wait to hear him preach. Uh, It's going to be a great day. So make sure January the 29th that you're here, and I promise you bring a friend because it'll be be a really really great day. A great day for us, okay, and he'll be here. And also, at 4.30 on this campus, he'll also be leading us through a Seder. Uh, If you've never gone through a Passover meal, um, it's a Messianic Jew perspective of a Passover meal, so he'll he'll walk us through all of that, and that in itself is fascinating as well. If you haven't done that, it'll be at 4.30 in the afternoon on this campus, and uh, so plan on coming to that if that's um, something you're interested in, all right? Let's pray before we get into God's Word. Father, we just commit this time to you. We sit still, we set apart this moment from all the common things, and we offer worship, and that means that we offer our hearts, and we sit with our Bibles in our laps, and we see text, and we hear human communication, but Lord, we want more than that. We want to meet with you. So Holy Spirit, guide us, illuminate this text, show us ourselves, show us our hearts, take us where you want us to go. This moment is yours. And so let us speak to us, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, years ago, we had a, a dog that was a door dasher. You all have door dasher dogs? Do you know what I'm talking about? It was Izzy, and she was a poodle, and it was horrible. 
horrible experience. And every time we'd open the door, let a guest in the house, or we'd come home, you know, and it was like, ah, oh, why it's a two-hour chase, right? And then you go to get, and you get close to her in somebody else's yard, and you know, she takes off again. And so it's just, just two hours. If you got a meeting or you're headed somewhere, done. You know, it's like, I, many times I was like, well, she, I hope she makes it. You know, I mean, I was like, I got to go. I can't, I can't chase her. So it was this constant thing, you know. And I said, you know what, I got so frustrated. I said, I wish I could talk dog and have a conversation with Izzy. Because I would go to Izzy and I'd go, Izzy, I know. I know what happens. Like when that door opens and the light cracks into our house, it, your eyes get wide and your heart starts racing. And everything in you says, I got to get out of here. They won't let me be on the carpet. They won't let me eat what I want. They won't let me do what I want. They make me stay in that, uh, in that bed and I can't sleep anywhere else. They take off the couch. So restrictive and so terrible. But man, if I could just get out that door, freedom and joy and journey and adventure and all of that. And I know, Izzy, I know, Izzy, that all of that just floods your soul and uh, it just seems so bright and happy out there. But Izzy, you know what really is out there is death. Okay, I just want you to know that. Uh, and, and, and if we don't chase you down, you will die. One, one reason is, is because some guy, somebody has to groom your constantly growing hair. All right? If not, you'll become a wad of hair, you'll become immobile, and you'll starve to death. Okay? That's one thing. And then the other thing is, you know that you have a sensitive digestive system. And you can't just eat anything. You have to eat science diet that is a certain type of salmon. Uh, you know, and it's, it's that. And if you eat stuff out of the trash, you die, Izzy. Okay? You're, you, everything clogs up, and you're dead. All right? And so we got to do that for you. And the other thing, Izzy, is there's coyotes that are twice your size out there that want to eat you for lunch, and they will. They totally will. That's the reality, Izzy, of the, out that door. But I know everything in you is saying, I've got to go and be free. And um, I think that you and I can identify with Izzy. We can be spiritual door dashers. One example of this in our life is I-35. You're on the service road, and it's red lights, bumper-to-bumper traffic, and you go by that ramp on to 35, and it says your name. Come and be free. Come and go fast, fast as you want. No, no restrictions here. Free. You get where you're going a lot faster. Come on. And you just say, I know I'm not supposed to trust 35. Steve Pritchett, I moved here, and Steve Pritchett said to me, I only have one thing to say to you. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm a new pastor. I've never talked to this guy before. He says, never trust 35. <laughs> Ever. Ever. And you want to trust it. Why? Because it's offering freedom. And you get out there, and over the ridge, what happens? Parking lot. And you're like, why did I trust 35? And you know why we have those little markings across the grass where those cars go? You know what those people are? They're prodigals, all right? They, tr they were on the service road, and they said, i got to trust 35. And you know what they said? Get me back to the service road. Why did I trust 35, right? All of us have this little instinct in our heart in our relationship with God. All of us at one time or another in our life, are either tempted to be a prodigal or were a prodigal or are a prodigal. This is what drives prodigals. 
this instinct within that I can have something more than God. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, and he's illustrating someone who runs from God and what drives them and then what they do. And I want to walk through that with you this morning. In Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 11, and I'm going to just walk verse by verse through this text and unpack what Jesus is really getting at here for us to absorb. In verse 11, Jesus is talking, and he, and he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. So this second-born son is kind of like Prince Harry. Y'all know who I'm talking about? Of course you do. He's all over everything right now. He's just tearing America apart, right? It's like awesome. Uh, and y'all are all up in the drama of it too, you know? I'm like, this is nothing but a soap opera. What is going on? Like, you know, let's get to real life anyway. All right, sorry. Next. But he's the second born, right? What comes with the second born? Second born privileges. You know, you're never going to be king, right, basically. All of his kids have to die for you to be king, right? So you're the second born. Well, the second born was that. You get second born inheritance. And so he has two sons and he's the second born. And he goes to his father and he says, Dad, I want what's coming to me. And I don't want to wait till you die. I want it now. Incredibly insulting in a first century Jew for a son to come and make that request of their father. Everyone would have sneered, and the father should have reacted to say, get out of my house, leave my property, you're no longer my son for asking for such a thing. Do you know how you're insulting me? What you're saying is, I don't want you, I want what you give me, and that's it. Spiritual prodigals are those who demonstrate that their love for God is far less than their love for things God gives. The material things of the world. But then Jesus continues. He says, and he, the father, divided his property between them. Now the people would have really sneered. Like, no, that, not, that is not going to happen. Ever. No. No son asked for that. That's incredibly insulting. And if they ever even did, as a hypothetical, no father is going to, like, do that. That's crazy. Your father's going to run him off. Like, or maybe kill him. But not actually do the request, right? That's crazy. Um, let me show you something interesting, though. It says, when the son asks for his inheritance, he uses the word property in the ESV. And that word property, uh, the first time when the son is asking for it, is eugia, which is a Greek term that means substance. It's where we actually get the Trinitarian doctrine. It's a word. Um, but it's eugia, which means materials, property, um, uh, material goods. That's, that's, that's basically what he's talking about. But when Jesus says that the father divided his property, when the father went to divide his property, he used a different word. It's the same word for us as translated, but it's a different Greek word, and it's the word bios, which you may f- be familiar with the word life. It's life. It says that the, basically that the father divided his life among them. Um, could literally read that the father ripped apart his life to meet the request of this son. It's an interesting phrase. The, pro- the father probably had to sell off portions of the property and liquidate assets to accommodate this request, this insulting request, and he did it. And so to sell off pieces of property and to give this son all the things that he's requesting, the father obliged this incredible insult. 
and he, he did it. So for a first century Jew, though, two things were the most important thing in life, land and lineage. If you know anything about the Israelites, they were given the land that they have by God. And the land that they have and them being in that land was their divine calling on the earth to be a part of this place called the Holy Land, the Promised Land, the land that God gave us. And it's a gift from God. And not only is land that important, a theological, global, cosmic importance to us as a people, but lineage that my forefathers, 20, 30 generations ahead of me, preserve this land as God's calling to them, and they selflessly built abundance on this land to give to me. And now my calling in this lineage is to do the same selflessly in my calling of God to invest and make this more abundant for future generations that are to come. And this is your role in the, on the earth as a Jew in this time period. This is the way they would have seen it. And what you're asking your father to do is to rip that to shreds, to give you something that maybe even 20 generations of people sacrificed to be able to give you, and now you're wanting to snatch it out of his hand, rip it apart, rip the family apart, rip the property apart, and take it, and just take it, snatch it out of your hand for yourself. This is incredibly corrupt and selfish. It's a heartbreaking event. It would tear the family apart, and it was the worst thing that could happen in that day. And honestly, it was unfathomable for the people that were listening. But then it says, 13, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, everything that had been liquidated, and given to him, and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And all that verbiage there is the same verbiage we would use to, he won the lottery and went to Vegas. Prostitutes, alcohol, drugs, all the feels, all the things that a person goes there for, that's what he did. He took this incredible, valuable inheritance that has been preserved and that he was supposed to preserve for others selflessly, and he took it and he blew it on his fields, and it's gone. It's vaporized. Gone. Goes to a pagan land and lives it up on his inheritance. Prodigals are selfish. Deeply selfish. They are driven by themselves and for themselves. And they don't consider how they're crushing everyone in their lives in order for them to live for themselves. They just want to live for themselves at the, other, at the expense of others. This is what Jesus is really painting. This is the picture he's painting of the prodigal son. And the problem with us studying the prodigal son is that we can't really see the horrific actions of the prodigal. Because you and I think, you know, like we had a ranch out in hill country. And it was 20 acres that my dad had. And, and uh, you know, and my son came to me and he wanted me to sell off a portion of it that I'm going to give to him anyway. And uh, give him the $100,000 
from it. And, uh, and you know, my son wanted, so I did it. And then he took it to Vegas and blew it all in a weekend. And, and uh, you shouldn't have done it, but, you know, just I guess you're going to sow your wild oats, you know. That's the way we think of it. And we can't really grasp, like, oh, no, this is far, far, far worse of a human being than that guy. Let me give you a modern equivalent. Can I paint some pictures for you? The prodigal son is Bernie Madoff, who squandered wealth from widows to live in his luxury, knowing he was doing it. He did it anyway. He took their life savings and blew it on his yacht. And he knew he was doing it, and he did it anyway, to widows. How's that? Are you thinking, oh, it's a mistake. You know, he's just sowing his wild oats. No. Um, Prodigals are corrupt, selfish, wasteful traitors to America who've sold out to the Chinese so that they could have a private yacht. I don't know if the Chinese bother you or not, but hopefully that got some of you, uh, others of you on board to see that this person is a disgusting individual. Prodigals are dads who leave their families and their children behind with nothing so that the kids and the mom live in poverty while he lives in plenty and he knows that his kids are being damaged because they don't know him and he doesn't even seek a relationship with them and he doesn't care. He just wants to live for himself. And so they grow up their entire lives not knowing who their dad is. He knew they're not going to turn out good, and he doesn't care. Okay, are we building the image? Um, prodigals are people who sell fentanyl illegally to fund their second home mansion in Europe. Prodigals are racist bigots who enjoy keeping certain ethnicities oppressed in third world countries so they can live in luxury. think we're getting are we getting there because because what Jesus wants you to feel about the prodigal is not that okay he was a bad guy what Jesus wants you to know about the prodigal is he was disgusting he was corrupt and selfish and all about himself and we're not supposed to be sentimental sentimental about the prodigal because that's not what Jesus is trying to get the people in his audience to feel in the day we're supposed to feel anger. We're supposed to feel disgust at the actions of this person and what they've done. And then verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So now hard times hit. Famine comes. Everything dries up. And the people listening to this story finally might start feeling some relief. Like, finally, he's getting what he deserves now. Yeah, yeah, everything ran dry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You learning your lesson? You know, this is what they would feel in this. The son has spent everything. Recession hit. The money runs out. He's becoming more and more desperate for cash. The point needs to be said that the prodigal who's running from God, it needs to be seen that the prodigal does live it up for a while. He actually enjoys a season of being a prodigal. It is pleasurable for a time to be a prodigal. 
But the point here is that it will run dry. Maybe it's a weekend, maybe it's a week, maybe it's a month, maybe it's a year, maybe it's 30 years, but eventually it's going to run dry. Running from God runs downhill all the way to the pit is what we're going to see here. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. So he gets to the place where it's so dry, everything is dried out. He has nothing. He's starving now, and he has to find a way to feed himself, take care of himself. He's got to get a job. And he gets a job, and there's two horrible consequences here. First, a Jew is hiring himself out to a pagan in a foreign land. Horrible, horrible thought. Uh, for the Jew, but the Jews who are listening think, well, that's what he deserves. That's the way he needs, he needs that. That's right. Um, but then secondly, and even worse, he's taking care of pigs. Now, you and I, we love bacon, right? It's like awesome. Uh, but to a Jew, this disgusting, okay? This is the worst animal on the planet. And the fact that he's taking care of them for pagans is the lowest of the low. They would think he deserves this. They would not feel sorry for him. They would say he gets what's coming to him. And it would feel righteous and it would feel right. But for a Jew, pigs are disgusting. This is the lowest of the low for a Jew. But it gets lower. In verse 16, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. So now you don't just have him taking care of pigs. You have him longing to feed on what the pigs are feeding on. And what's the point of this? Is that he's not just taking care of pigs, he is a pig. He is a pig. And he wants to eat what the pigs are eating. He is shoulder to shoulder with the pigs, longing to eat what they eat. And it's even worse, and here's why. He asks the owners, can I eat what the pigs are eating? May I eat some of what their food so that I don't starve? And you know the answer he's getting? No, you cannot eat the food for the pigs because that's for the pigs and not for you. So it's even worse. He's even lower than a pig. He's at the worst possible state that you can imagine for a Jew to find himself in. Now, what is Jesus saying about prodigals? The prodigal life is a downward spiral all the way to the bottom. And it's a soul condition. And the further you get away from God, the worse the condition of your soul. To the place where you're in a miry pit. You are in the worst case scenario. You are desperate. You are alone. You are isolated. And you are in a desperate situation of soul. And then verse 17 is a very powerful phrase. It says, but when he came to himself. Man, you ever come to yourself? Um, it's a strong statement. And what it assumes is this. Prodigals are prodigals because they are blinded to a very important aspect of reality. They are driven by things that blind them. And when they're blind... They don't know the damage they're doing to other people around them. They don't know the damage they're doing to themselves. All they know is I've got to keep following this drive. And it's killing me, but I don't know that I'm dying. All I'm thinking is I'm pursuing something that's making me live. And it's really killing me, but I keep pursuing it anyway. And this is the life of a prodigal who's running from God. 
And came to himself indicates that there's some kind of point where the blinders are lifted off. Where he realizes something. A light bulb goes off. Um, Something happens to him where he's not blind. He sees what everybody else saw the whole time. He sees what he didn't see, but everybody else saw. And all of a sudden he sees, and he sees himself, and he sees his choices. He came to his senses. Um, Prodigals need one thing more than they need anything, and that is to have those blinders lifted. That is the most important thing, because if they can just see what they're doing and feel the weight of it, then they would know, and they would feel, and they would respond accordingly that you are killing yourself. But he can't see. Notice, when did the prodigal come to his senses? Did the prodigal come to his senses while he's walking off the front porch with all of his inheritance headed to Vegas? Is that when prodigals come to their senses? No, that's when they're the most blind. And they think everybody else is crazy. And they know what, every, they know what life is. And they know where it's found. And let them go live it. Right? Did he come to his senses when he's blowing his wealth and having the time of his life in Vegas? Did he go, wait, this is wrong. This is fun, but it's it's wrong. Nope. Blasted right through that season. Did he come to his senses when he hired himself out and became a servant? No. He's still thinking somehow, I'm going to take care of me. He's still driven by the same things. He just doesn't have anything. When did he come to his senses? When you can't get any lower and all you can do is look up, that's when you look up. You got to hit the bottom. You got to run out of everything. You got to see that what I'm driving is taking life away from me step by step. And until you come to that realization, you will never look up. You won't. But when that realization occurs, the result is repentance. I have sinned. I have damaged people. I have been incredibly selfish. I didn't see what everyone else saw. Look what I have done. What am I doing? Why am I here? These are questions a prodigal asks when they come to their senses. It's a grieving of soul for his actions. And then it says, you know, he says that, but he came to himself and he said, wait a minute, okay, how many of my father's hired servants, now a hired servant is not the servants that live on the, on the land with the father. Hired servants are servants that you go get in a day, you pick them up, you tell them, come on, i got a project I need done, and you hire them, and you bring them over, and they do the work for you, you pay them, and then they go back to the city, okay? That's a hired servant. It's the lowest form of servant, okay? Other servants live on the property. They have, um, you know, privileges and responsibilities, and they're always taken care of, and they don't. And so, but then these are ones that just came every once in a while. And he says, how many of those people that are just hired every once in a while, the lowest of the low, how often... He says, the hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. 
Like even the lowest of the low back with my dad has it better than I have. Good reasoning. Good reasoning. He says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but I know I'm not going to be a son and I'm not even asking to be a servant on your property. Will you just make me one of your hired servants that every once in a while I can work and do a project for you and, and, make, and, and not die and not starve to death here? Can I be the lowest of the low? Will you just allow me that? It's better than I have here. I've sinned against heaven and before you. No longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now at this point, a Jew would say, oh yeah, sure, right. Yeah, go back to your father. That's the last place you're going to be able to go. That bridge is burned toast to the ground. They had a funeral for you. You are dead to them. The things you did, you can't go back to that. You'll get crucified. This is what the people would have concluded listening to the story. And notice in his speech to his father that he rehearses here, no excuses. He doesn't say, well, that older brother of mine, he's a jerk and I wouldn't want to live with him. So I, I figured the only choice I had was to get, is that real repentance? Real repentance is saying, I have sinned. No excuses. I am corrupt. No excuses. No blame. I own my choices, and they were wrong, and they were damaging, and I'm killing my own life with my bare hands. I was wrong. There we're talking real repentance. Then no expectations. I'm not coming to you because I'm sad about my condition. I'm coming to you because I'm sad about my choices and what they led me into. I'm sorry. I repent. In verse 20, He's got it all down, right? He's got his speech down. And so it says in verse 20, he stuck around there for a while and thought about it. What does it say in verse 20? And he arose and came to his father. You want to come to God? Is the pain of life squeezing you? Your own choices, your own consequences of your own. You're killing yourself with your own bare hands and you're feeling the pain of that. You know what God wants? He doesn't want you to keep thinking about coming to him. I'm going to think about it. One day I might, I might, you know. No. He says, he rose and came to his father. How does a prodigal come to God? Listen to this. What if the prodigal would have said, you know what? What am I doing here? I'm eating, I'm eating the pig's food. What am I doing? I'm better than that. And I'm working for this pagan. I'm a Jew. I know how to make money. I am going to actually get out there and I'm going to work. I am wise. I mean, smart. I got, I know, a lot smarter than these people. I'm going to start doing something. So he starts getting a job. He goes, I'm going to go get a job. And I'm going to 
I'm going to earn wealth. And you know what? I'm going to earn so much wealth, and I'm going to be honest with it, and I'm not, I'm not going to be corrupt anymore, and I'm going to earn wealth, and I'm going to repay my father everything I took, and I'm going to add interest to it, and I'm going to take it back to him. That's it. Get me a job. And let's just say he does that for 20 years. He goes, he finds a job, he works, and he works hard, he works with honesty. He builds a good reputation too. He says, you know what, I've had a terrible reputation, I've blown money, I'm going to build a better reputation. I'm going to go, and I'm going to earn honest living, and I'm going to be generous to people in my community. I'm actually going to be a source of life for people instead of taking from everybody. I am going to be a, I'm going to have a great reputation. And he does that for 20 years, and he takes all that money with interest, the inheritance that he took from his father, and he takes a great reputation, and he says, here, Father, I'm sorry for what I did. Here. Now, in life, that might be appropriate in situations where you've hurt someone and you want to make it and make it right, and that's that's all good. That is never appropriate with God. For you to fix yourself up and bring to Him and fix the and repair the situation, because honestly, you can't. It is shattered. You can't repair the situation by you thinking you can build a better you to present to God. The whole Bible would say, "Uh uh-uh. How do you come to God? You in your humiliation and sorrow for your actions, you come to him as you are and you lay yourself before him And you cry out to him and you say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Forgive me. And whatever else you want to stack on there. But don't bring him what you've repaired. You come just like you are to God. In that very moment, you don't wait. You come to him and you just say, here, I am here. I don't deserve anything from you. I need to be forgiven. I need saving. This is how you come to God. So it says he went to his father, and then it says this. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. When did the father feel compassion? When he said the right thing? Does it say that the father felt compassion when he said, okay, finally you see you're a sinner. Okay, well now compassion's starting to come. When did, when did God... Start feeling compassion for a prodigal. Ask that question. When does God start feeling compassion for a prodigal? When he says the right thing? No, when he shows up. God sees you coming. He sees your longing. And in that moment, he's having compassion on you. Before you ever said anything, God was having compassion on you. But then he says, a long way off, his father see and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Middle Eastern men do not run, ever. But more than that, to run as a Middle Eastern man, you got to pick up your skirt and show off them fine white legs, scrawny, scrawny white legs that never see the, day, the ray of sun. And you got to run. And it's all humiliating and embarrassing. A father wouldn't do that. Nobody acts like that. You're painting a picture of a ridiculous-looking dad. And Jesus is saying, yes, I'm showing you the heart of the Father. In his compassion and mercy, it is lavish and it is embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Embraced him and kissed him. 
He still hasn't spoken. He still hasn't spoken. And the son finally said, Father, I have sinned. And he starts his speech, right? Okay, Father, here we go. He's like, Father, I have. He gets it the note out, right? The little note. And he goes, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to him, wait a minute. What's the point there? Jesus is like showing a really cool picture that the, the son is trying to get through his speech and the father interrupts him. I ain't listening. <laughs> it's like, it says, it says he, before he ever got finished with his rehearsed speech, the father interrupts with something else. But the father said to his servants, so the son's halfway through his speech, and he's supposed to finish by saying, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me one of your hired servants. Right? He's supposed to say that last phrase. He never gets to it because, he's, because he looks to the, the father goes, uh-huh, yeah, servants. Go get the, this is, where, this is a really cool picture. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. The best robe is sonship. It is a robe that you are putting on position. You are my son. Okay? Ring is authority. He gave him the credit card. Amen. The, and authority not just to spend money, but authority to make decisions as a son would on the property. A reinstatement to his inheritance uh, and to his position as a son. A gift of a robe, the gift of a ring, and sandal on his feet... All the servants wore, went around barefooted, not sons. Sons had to wear shoes. Shoe, and sons were d- determined by, by the fact that, oh, he's got shoes on. So you are now my son. You are not a hired servant. You are not a servant. You are my son. This is what Jesus is saying about this. When a prodigal comes with a repentant heart, God gives the robe of righteousness as a gift. I treat you as if you never sinned. And you didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. I give it to you. I give you the authority of a son in my kingdom. I am going to give you a place in my kingdom and give you authority in my kingdom to be my son in the kingdom. And that is a high privilege. Yes, you don't deserve it. You don't even deserve to be a hired servant, but I'm making you my son, and I'm giving you this place as a gift. Okay. But the, but the father says, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and then bring the fatted calf. The fatted calf was something that took time. The, the calf doesn't get fat overnight. Y'all know what I mean? It takes time to get the calf to get fatted, and so it takes a long time uh, for you to get the calf right where it needs to be so that you can slaughter it for a wedding or something giant, big celebration or something like that. And he's going to go slaughter the fatted calf. For you and I, it would be like this. You have a 100-year-old oak tree in your front yard and something you want to celebrate, you chop that oak tree down. You don't care about the city of Austin and you make a bonfire and you, and you make a bonfire out of it. But all of us kind of would go, hey, man, that's a 100-year-old tree. It took 100 years. Are you sure? That's incredibly valuable. You can't just grow it back. You know, this, is, this is something very valuable you're just slaughtering. 
for this celebration. It better be good, right? And he's saying, I'm killing the fatted calf for my son who was dead and is now alive again, was lost and is found. And it says, and they began to celebrate. It's lavish. It's embarrassing. It just doesn't feel right. It almost feels as if the mercy that the father is showing to this son is wrong. And that's what we're supposed to feel about it. Now, if you're a prodigal, know that that's God. That's God. That's how merciful God is, and he will receive you, and you get all of that from a repentant heart that owns it and comes to him by faith. In closing, three things to consider. First, and these aren't long, trust me. One, if you, if you want to come to God, you can. Do you want to come to God? Are you in that pit? Are you miserable? Do you know it well? Are you in that moment where you've come to your senses and you want to come to God, but you're maybe afraid? I've done too much damage or I've gone too far. I did too much. Nope, 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 nope. Doesn't matter where you've gone. Doesn't matter how far you've gone. You have access to God. Come to him by faith in Jesus Christ. You can do it right now. You can do it in your heart. He will lavish upon you his mercy and his grace. You can. You want to come to God? You can come to God. There is nothing keeping you. He will not reject you. He will receive you and he will give you his grace. You can be washed, you can be new, your heart can be filled with joy. He will put the robe on you, he'll make you his son, he'll do it all in a very moment, this moment, right now. He'll do it. It's all available to you. It's not cheap. It's incredibly expensive. It costs the son of God, the eternal son of God, suffering and death on a cross to be able to do that for you. But he did it. He tore his life apart on Calvary to be able to offer that to you. Secondly, to come home, come as you are. Don't you dare clean yourself up to come to God. Come to God, get clean, and then let that cleanness that God gives you affect the life that you live now, a life of repentance and a life in line with him. And thirdly, if this is all that you knew or all that we had studied about the prodigal son story from Jesus, we will have missed the entire point that Jesus is making with the prodigal. You're like, what? Yes, this is a secondary subject. This is not the main point. And you say, what's the main point? We're going to talk about that next week. (laughs) So buy my book in the foyer. It tells you the second. (laughs) I'm just joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But we will be dealing with that next week because y'all are hungry and we're ready to go. Amen? All right. Let's pray together as we close. Father, thank you that your mercy is lavish. And it's lavish because... The death, the suffering of your son on behalf of sinners. Reconciliation between God and man is not free. It is incredibly expensive, but you did it. You did it for us so that when we come to you, we get what we don't deserve. The robe of righteousness, the ring of sonship. And Jesus got what he didn't deserve as a result. And you willingly did it. And you demonstrate your love to us in this way. And so this Sunday, with this portion of the prodigal, as prodigals, everyone in this room, we celebrate and we praise you and we give you thanks. And we feel your love and we express that love to you and we give you praise. If there's a prodigal in this room, Lord, who has come to their senses and they're ready to be received, I pray you receive them right now as they cry out to you. Hear their prayer. Interrupt them in the middle of it and give them sonship. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Will you stand with me all across the room? Let's sing this song and just do business with the Lord as he leads you.